This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how science fiction, horror, fantasy, and comics help us explore our humanity. Here's part two of Fear the Walking Dead Roundtables from San Diego Comic-Con with the cast and the series creator. Hi, and welcome to Fear the Walking Dead Sessions, episode two, as we have more from the roundtables at San Diego Comic-Con. To start us off, here is Elizabeth Rodriguez on Cliff Curtis's character, and what he's doing for her character and her son. So it speaks a lot on Cliff's character that, like, regardless of of the danger of going and getting his son and getting his son's mother on the other, you know, far, farther away, that uh, his his integrity instead of just you know going with the Clarks in the midst of uh, you know they're not the they're not the best of friends right now, and it talks so much on who Travis is early on. When it was announced, I got some email. I got emails from cast that were some that did know, however, and they were so excited. They were like, you know, super excited. And then when I went back on the ten days that we had off, because they had to make it work. You know, adults had to speak about like because I'm a recur on that. Um, so AMC was very gracious and generous to let me be able to work. Um, I found out, as I said yesterday in the panel. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Here is Greg Nicotero on Lorenzo James Henry's character of Chris Manawa. He's got a good, he's got a great rebellious nature to him, but he's also very individual, and you'll get you'll get a chance to learn a lot of that about him, even in the second episode. That that he, it, it's not just it's not just a rebellious kid just to be angry about no. you know the fact that your dad left, but but he's really an inquisitive character. Yeah, and he's so beautiful. This guy, look, you see that? He was like perfectly cast. It took me two seconds to like be like, this is gonna be easy. And so that a lot of that comes across, and it took it's written. Me one second. It comes across in 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 what develops for him. He's this big-hearted, generous, generous kid, and so that makes him more sensitive in trying to, you know, what do you do when you like that? You rebel to try to protect yourself, and anger comes out because you can't make sense yeah. of what's going on. Do you know? He's so, wait. You're gonna just fall in love with him if you haven't yet. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Next up is executive producer Gail Ann Hurd, who also serves in the same capacity for The Walking Dead. She talks about the goal of doing a spinoff, and then is joined by Mercedes Mason, who is Ophelia Salazar, and daughter to Ruben Blades, Daniel Salazar, who also joins us. If you can't do it well and you can't make this a show that could exist if there was no Walking Dead, don't do it. And that's why it's, it's taken a while. Um, and the, the, but the biggest the, the biggest challenge was to create a a complex story that was different from the Walking Dead. We, we had the same rules. I mean, the, the zombies aren't fast. You know, it's. But everything else is completely different because we're starting at a, a, a different time. Everyone, I mean, you, you, Mercedes speaks to this far more beautifully than I do. But um, you know, we've had very few flashbacks to what happened when things were going down. We saw Shane. We saw that Shane was lying about Rick being dead. People still didn't give, forgive Laurie, but <laughs> I want to go back and fix that. Um, and uh, you know, but at the same time. Um, how we, we wanted to, to deal with how would the average person 
approach this if they didn't have someone like Morgan to tell them the rules. Um, and in a city where many families are immigrants, it's not it's not the wor- the world of sort of in, in Atlanta. This is a world of immigrants and uh, a, a, a very blue-collar East Los Angeles and not an East Los Angeles that has been misportrayed so often on television and in films as just gang-infested. No, these are everyday real lives with important issues going on, and we get a chance to see the, see normal life in East L.A. before everything goes to shit. I mean, I was just... Gail and I were talking about it because she, she's well aware that I was a huge Walking Dead fan before I came onto this project. So as soon as I heard that I'm on, when I was done screaming and crying with my mom, um, I, I had all the same questions. I was so curious as to what had happened to the world. We see Rick Grimes wake up in a coma and it's just nothing. There's nothing there. And he sort of has to figure out as he goes along, do you hit him in the shoulder? Do you poke their eyes out? Like... I want to know how all that developed in real time. So for us, we wake up on a normal day. Nothing has happened. We think there might be a, a flu epidemic going on. And all of a sudden, we're thrust into this world of absolute carnage and no idea how to behave, who we can trust. There's no cops. There's no infrastructure. Everything is slowly falling apart as the minutes are going by. I wanted to see what happens to people when that happens. Because like Ruben said beautifully, there are people who wake up with war. There's bombs going off outside the windows. That changes you. How does it change? What becomes right or wrong at that point? And I love that the show brings up all those questions. It makes you think. It's not just, oh, there's zombies on the show. It's it's about the human experience and human nature. And I think that's what's so universal. That's why The Walking Dead's been so popular and continued in you know most major countries. People want to know and want to see what happens to the degradation of humanity when, okay, rugs been pulled out from under you. Go now. What? I love it. <laughs> uh, the Walking Dead is uh, the Walking Dead is like the 12th of October of 400, uh, 1492. And this show is the 11th of October. Because nobody remembers. Who knows what happened the 11th? The 11th of October, you woke up and life was the same. The next day, you have these people who don't know who they are with these animals and this language and then the diseases and your life is changed forever. Nobody wrote about the 11th of, of October. This is the 11th of October. So, Walking Dead is the 12th and we're the 11th. I commented on the pilot how technology informed the characters of the walkers, and if they're not sure what they're seeing yet on their cell phone. Here is Gail Ann Hurd. That's how you find out. Yeah. And, and, and when Madison says to Tobias, you know, it, it, come on. If something were really going on, the authorities would tell us. Come on, we, we, and that's what we'd like to believe, but we know that that's not the the truth. Um, and we're gonna have an orderly yeah, yeah, yeah. evacuation yeah. of New York and LA yeah. in the event of a major disaster. Everybody will follow the rules. You know, there will be no more than X amount of people for a yeah. car, and none of that is gonna happen. That is all bullshit. 
you know, it rings so true. Do you guys remember? I don't even know how long ago this was now, but do you remember the bath salt incident where the guys ate someone's Florida? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the same thing. It was like a helicopter view. You see cop cars and commotion, and then there was the zoom in. And I love that this is exactly that. And you know, we were all gripped by that. I mean, can this really change people into zombies in essence? And this is sort of the precipice of where our show begins. Of when my God. Mercedes said something just now that I think, for instance, how do you stop him? How do you stop him? Somebody. It's like, you know what? It reminds me of the, the person the person that ate the first pineapple. I would really like to. <laughs> or artichoke, right? I would really yeah, like yeah. to meet that person. I said, you know, you saw this. You took this thing and it's all spiny and weird. And now what do we do? No, that's not the way. Okay, so what do, let's give it to Mikey. Mikey. <laughs> oh, you eat that. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should cut it. Okay, so we eat that. No, no, you eat inside. You know, how do you stop them? They're getting shot. They're moving forward. Yeah. What's going on? Patatatata. No, they ah, you gotta shoot them somewhere special to stop them. You gotta learn. And and, and the person, <laughs> the person who's the good Samaritan, who just wants to help. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that's really over for them. So the instincts that you have that are humane um, can get you into the most trouble. And we'll be seeing that depicted among the characters in the show. How their their instincts lead them in a certain um, direction. And how their strengths are also their weaknesses. The survival. Remember the plane and the fell in the Andes with yeah, all the flares? Yeah, they ate each other, yeah. You know how hard that must have been to eat their own friends? I mean, but it wasn't... To this, I met some of uh, the parents and uh, the, those guys in, in, in Uruguay, and it's, uh, it's still with them. It's still with them, and it'll haunt them till the day they die, although rationally they know why. It's, it was against every single thing, but you had to do it, or otherwise you'd be gone. Survival is a powerful tool. The thing is, I mean, I, I don't, obviously don't create the show. When you have a comic to base it on, you kind of know where it's heading, in a general direction, somewhat, yeah. So the fans kind of know when a character's coming or going, or if they're good or bad. For us, we get to create that. So as exciting as it is to have sort of a, a blue book, I love the fact that I'm just as surprised. We get scripts a day before our table read. I'm you guys, we're so bonded. We literally come running in and we're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <gasps> and then we, yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. We almost read them backwards. Oh, I'm alive. Okay, good, good, good. So it's it's exciting. It keeps us all on our toes. I, I want to see where Ophelia's going to go. Because I can kind of invent it as I go along. You know, the, the guys are so great about letting us um, put our own input, put our own stamp on it. To me, as an actress, that's Exciting. You're gonna be surprised. Oh man. You're gonna be very, very surprised. Diva? No. Oh, we, we, believe me, we have no divas. No. You just see Ophelia just doing her nails the whole time. Kill him. It's a good Off group of people. Head. Good group of people. Solid group of people. And, uh, you know, the, the, the other interesting thing is sometimes. If you know where your character is headed, you're you're already becoming that before in yeah, real time you would. So you are already plotting. In this case, you can't. We're living it, yeah. Yes. There's no anticipation. You don't know. You really don't. 
the other thing that's really cool is that um, you know that there there are people there there are scenes in this where it's in Spanish. Exactly. I like that the Latinos are the show. Oh, well, finally, right? Yeah. It took like nine Star Wars to have us up there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I says the, the 27th century is going to matter to have an accent. That's right. Thank you, guys. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. Kim Dickens is Madison Clark, who, according to Cliff Curtis, is the alpha on the series. And I agree. And along the way, we're joined by executive producer David Alpert. Yeah, see, he keeps calling me the only alpha, but he's alpha by nature. I'm the omega. (laughs) Listen, Travis, the character Travis, very similar to Cliff, (laughs) in that he's just like this awesome man. Just he's just manly and strong. But there's the the tenderest sweetheart in there that's just so so nice. So yeah, it's not a spinoff. It's more of just like a parallel parallel world of you know in the same universe. It's been fun. We have completely new characters and completely new stories and completely new locations. You know, we, we've um, when putting this together, uh, we feel like we have a good experience in creating companion products for The Walking Dead, right? So the Telltale version of The Walking Dead has, you know, there's, you know, there's a minute of Glenn showing up in the in the game, but other than that, it's an entirely new character set, entirely new things, but sort of true to the same dynamics of The Walking Dead. Um, the novel series. You know, touches on the governor, but other than that, it's entirely new characters. Um, and we honestly, we feel like, as opposed to uh, being repetitive and sort of exploring more of the same world, that the, the best way to explore what fear was all about was to go to an entirely new place that had no connection to the, the mothership. It was something that was could really just stand on its own. Same rules. Same world, right? It's not like it's not like oh, it's the world of Walking Dead, but no, it's the exact same thing, just in an entirely different place. And we feel like honestly, that's what's the core strength of the Walking Dead is that it can support those types of stories being told. Kim Dickens talks about her Comic Con experience, who was echoed by Cliff Curtis. Well, that was the biggest audience I've ever sat in front of. I think it was it was fun to see that they were so excited to see the trailer, and it, and I felt like they enjoyed the trailer a lot. So it it's been it's been pretty great. I mean, uh, they're they're a generous audience, you know. They're yeah. super kind and supportive, and uh, so it's been really fun. Yeah, they're very enthusiastic, very generous, very kind, very lovely people. So I feel blessed, really grateful to have the opportunity to be yeah. welcomed so generously. Here is more from executive producer David Albert on Fear the Walking Dead. We knew that where we wanted to start the story in terms of the timeline, we, but we also knew that the audience was going to know so much more than our characters do, right? So that's, that presents a unique, a unique dilemma for, for storytellers, is how do you make it interesting when the audience knows more than they do? So what we did is we made it aware, right? Like we made it very much, we know that you know. Right, so when you watch that teaser, that teaser is like, you're like, oh, I know what this is, and then the car hits, and you're sort of like, oh, this is something totally different, (laughs) right? And that sort of that moment was ultimately like, okay, that's how we're going to tell the story. We know that you know, right? We're aware as we're writing and telling that story, um, but our characters don't yet know, and that's sort of the the fun of this of this world. All the Friday the Thirteenth. Like just yes, 
please. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I, pretty much, if there's an '80s genre film, I, I'm I'm a fan. Halloween. Oh, of course. That's like the ever since Halloween, I can't watch scary movies. But I want to remind you when you watch the first 20 minutes of The Walking Dead, there's like six words in that, yeah. and it is as slow as it's possible, and it built to the pace that it's at now. And, you know, I feel like part of the reason why it's a great time to tell this story is there was a great visceral thrill in season one that we can no longer do in The Walking Dead. But it's a great tone. It's a great pace. It's a great rhythm. And I feel it's great as we can now do that here in Fear of the Walking Dead. Pick up those same rhythms. Improvise on it. You know, riff on it. Find our own way. But that same sort of sense of building where we're going to go is happening now. It gets pretty racy towards the end of the first season, I'll tell you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We hope you guys like it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And that is our sessions number two for Fear the Walking Dead. Episode one is also available. Until the next Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolato. Thanks for listening.